0: You know we are looking at the church and our corporate life together, and it in in some ways, as we look at this uh, this series of uh, things that God is speaking to us, I believe in as a church, this could be the part, time in which our daily weekly life could be most changed, most transformed, um, and we are going to try to be as practical as we can because it is in the church that the practicalities of God's uh, work that he has done for us on the cross is mostly and especially seen both in the, our, our life in the world as well as in life in the, in the church. So I'd like to uh, turn with you to the passage that we were looking at in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. And we were speaking about last week four misunderstandings of the church. Um, we're not going to go over it all, but we're going to take off from there, okay? Um, Alright. We spoke about the will of God and the calling of God up being upon His church, and not just um, in individuals. He put all things, in chapter 1, under, in subjection under His feet, and gave Him as head over all things to the church which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Um, We saw in the past two Sundays that God actually wants to fulfill His will fully in the church. It is the church through which He can actually manifest His beauty and His power and His purposes to the world. Not only to the world actually, the scope of Ephesians is so great. He's even talking about principalities and powers that he, that God wants to co- connect with and to actually show His glory to, not just to the world, but to principalities and powers. You, you it's, it's intergalactic, yeah. And so, in some ways, I, I, I feel that the the scope of our our vision of God, our vision of calling, needs to change uh, and be expanded uh, in, in line with what God has. And so, we spoke about the fact that it is not just as individuals that we try to find our calling, and remember the cat uh, analogy, Uh, the cat cannot find its calling just by looking at itself. The cat itself does not have enough characteristics to make up its calling. No matter how well you look at the cat and no matter how beautiful the cat is, the cat, and it's an individual, does not fulfill the calling of the pen. It is only in being joined to the pen that the cap can do amazing things that have to do with writing, perhaps things that will last for eternity. You can't find it in the cap. Now, you can make the cap bigger and make it more powerful, but in the end, it's just the cap. Unless it is joined with a pen, it has no purpose that is anything more than a sub-purpose. The cap has a sub-purpose to keep the ink ink dry, but it does not have the full purpose of the pen. And So we're talking about that, and as as individuals, sometimes we can think, I'm going to develop myself, my calling, I'm going to develop my calling, I'll develop my gifting. And we're all doing it just to make ourselves very good caps, bigger caps, maybe big caps. Huge caps. But in the end, they are actually meaningless unless they find their fit in the body of Christ, so to speak. So if you can forgive that silly analogy, uh, we can move on. Okay, so we talked about calling. and Turn with me to chapter 2 of Ephesians and we will uh, move on. We'll kick on, as we say. Alright, verse, uh, verse 14. He himself is our peace. Who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. And we spoke about our, our new humanity. We can have peace, the shalom of God, only because... Not because we are just kind to one another or that we are more enlightened towards one another or because we are able to merge our differences together on a human way, but only because of the fact that in Christ, the enmity, the dividing wall was broken. It was exploded in His own body. He was rent in two. Not only the the curtain was rent in two, He was rent in two for, for our sake. So much so that our unity as a church... Our oneness comes, our identity comes not through our own particular peculiarities that we try to negotiate with one another or legislate with one another or try to be as kind as possible for one another. That doesn't quite cut it. What what allows it to happen is that we experience the death of the Lord Jesus Christ in Himself. In Himself. He exploded the enmity. It's almost as if all the wars that the earth has, that the, the world has experienced, were condensed into one horrible, horrible uh, ball, and it was put into Jesus. So much so that he would suffer the consequences of every enmity that we have, everything that causes us to. Uh, to have an identity other than what God has for us. So we saw the first, mis, uh, first misunderstanding about call, uh, that call is not individual. We saw the second misunderstanding had to do with the fact that our oneness comes not through our own uh, benevolence, but through what Christ has done on the cross. We saw, saw thirdly that we, um, that because of that, and we will read this in verse uh, the, verse 17 onwards, he came and preached peace to those who are far away, peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have our access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. And we spoke about the fact that the third misunderstanding had to do with the fact that we can sometimes think of church as an audience. The church is an audience, but the church is a household. And it's in looking at the church as a household rather than, you know, there's a way in which our pews are arranged in such a way that it is sort of connote an audience, kind of theater style and all that. Um, But actually, that actually uh, makes uh, smaller, diminishes the nature of what church is. When we think about church, we think about a new humanity, a new uh, one people, one, uh, my NASB says one new man, Uh, NASB says one new humanity. But we are no, no longer just subscribers to a particular religion in which we all participate in a passive way. And the one on stage is the one who's actually doing all the business. But actually what's happening is that we are a household of God that God is fitting together. This household nature changes the whole game of church. It changes the whole game of church. So much so that church is not driven by particular stars or particular anointed, gifted ones, but it is an interaction of every single person, like in a family, that's made up into a household. Yeah, The household is like a process. It's like a verb. It's like a bustling thing in which God is constantly doing stuff in real time. The church is not this ideal structure in which we have a hierarchy or we have a whatever, whatever modern configuration of that structure is, that's static. The church is actually not that. The church is not an idealized form of government. The church is a household, which means it is quite messy. But in the midst of all that messiness, everyone is taken into consideration. Everybody has a part. Everybody has, no matter how big or small it is, it has a different part to play. nobody 's the same but a household and those of you who have children and who have families or come from families my My mum comes from a family of twelve children. There are twelve children, very quite poor. but as a family, twelve of them, they lived in a sm- they lived in a small house, and throughout her life, all she knew was this: there were constantly people who were coming into the house and sleeping in the house, and they, they didn't have beds. They, 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 had, they slept on thin mattresses, and what they do is that every morning, they would, open up, they would they would roll up their mattress and put it all neatly aside, all 12 children, and then they would, uh, they would um, carry on their business. They are today, to this day, very, very united, very loving to one another, very close with one another, 12 children. It's quite amazing. It's quite amazing. I'm blessed to be part of that heritage. But there's a way, there, there are ways in which this household got together and worked magic. And many, many people bro- were brought to the Lord because of the fact that this household, with their limited resources, limited privacy, were able to take in people who were sick, people who were um, 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 depressed, people who were um, suicidal. And my mom would say that a lot of times we would wake up in the morning and we would find someone sleeping and we don't know who that person is, and we would roll up our beds, and we find that person still sleeping, and we would take care of them. And that's how a household actually happens. When you talk about household, you're talking about not numbers of people, so, so, so much as functionality within the members, and how they are, we are actually functioning. When you think about a household, you're thinking about how we all relate to one another, and how God is building us together. The great thing about this is this. A household is a growing living uh, organism. Oh, I'm sure you heard that phrase all the time. Um, but it is what First Peter calls living stones. Live in, in, in real-time moments in which one moment is different from the other, and one moment co- does things in the future to that household that will change the household, and so it's constantly changing. You are no longer strangers and aliens, Remember, we were we were speaking about the fact that the Gentiles and Jews, the Gentiles were allowed to be proselytes, but they were they had to be audiences. They they didn't participate in the on go, goings on in the temple nor in the uh, nor in the synagogue. But you are now f- fellow citizens with the saints and of the of the household of God or God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing is growing real time, right? being fitted is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. What Paul is basically saying here is this, as a household. It's a very dynamic situation in which you are being fitted together, being built, and, um, and growing as well. So these are all kind of, what do you call, gerunds, yeah? present continuous. They're actually in process of happening. The church, you, if you take a slice of time, it is in process. It's in real time. It is not here in spite of the fact that the ideal would be for it to be here. It has to grow like a child. Step by step, it has to be in time. If you think of time, not just as clocks or, or, or watches, but time as sequences of events, one following another, when you speak about time, that you're in time means you're, you're, you're here, and you may be supposed to be there at a, at a certain time in the future, but you cannot be there until you are here, until you are here, until you are here. Time is a sequence of events, sequence of, of events that one following another, So much so that when we think think about the church as a household, we're not thinking about an ideal situation in which you can try to pay all the money that you can, get all the consultants you can, get the stars in there, so that you can have this ideal church that is wowsy-wowsy, you know? It is actually an organic situation, and I don't like using the word organic because it's so overused. I don't know what organic means besides a certain kind of fruit, but there's a way in which church is organic in terms of being bound in time. It is not only timeless, but it is... Were you here last Sunday? It was timely. It's timely. That means in time, God is doing stuff which takes you to the next stage. If you don't have that, then you will think of church as this ideal church government or church, church situation in which you are regretting that there are not these factors, uh, there are not these gifted persons here, there are not these ideal situations there. No, the church is a household. And so because of that, when we become the church as a household, we submit ourselves to the work that God is doing. What is God doing? He's, making, he's, he's causing us to be fitted. Yeah, We are being fitted We are being built. We are growing together at the same time. Amen? So because of that, I'd like us to think about us, our life together as a household and uh, how um, Christ has made us no longer audiences, no longer strangers and aliens, but as a household so that we will find how we fit together in real time. Okay? Not forever forever. Real, but in real time. Your particular relationships with one another will change. A year from now, they will be be different. And you'll be relating probably to different people as well. And so, I want to keep us kind of alive in this idea that being in church is submitting to a process by which in time, God is fitting us, growing us, and building us together. Amen? Fitting us, growing us, and building us together. That's really... Uh, uh, what I like to, to really focus on. Um, because of that, um, as a church, we can think as a household in terms of the character of the household. Not just being a mass of people that sort of sit down as an audience, but God is building into us as a household. Character. Building us as a, as a household. Character. A household implies there is a certain quality of relations, a quality of internal strength, a quality of impact this group of people that are qualitatively being built together make upon the world. Not just individuals, but the church. And you've got to understand, see, that this is exciting because once we become Christians, He brings us into this family... And he starts fitting, starts growing, and starts building in our lives. What Paul is saying is this, in this moment, you are being built. In this moment, even if you're sitting on, on, the, uh, at the, at the, on the pews, keeping very quiet, trying to stay cool, you are being built, you are growing, you are um, being fitted together. And for that to happen, you have to think about church in terms of its quality, its character, right? And God has given us a word that we, God wants to, to fit us together and build us together as people who know our God, display strength, and take and do exploits. That is what God has for us. He's building that into us. And you can be sure that in your life, in VCF, as long as you're in VCF, that will be something that God's be, God will be doing. God, the church is not defined in terms of being an audience, But it's defined in terms of being this very strange, not like anything else, body of people that are coming together and being fitted by Holy Spirit. And it cannot happen if you're not a Christian. It cannot happen if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. It cannot happen if if Christ has not rent into you. It cannot happen if your identity lies in a particular earthly thing. You can have those qualities but that's not your identity. Your identity can only happen, the, 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 the possibility of that happen is can only, can only take place if you have died with Christ. And so you can think about that as well. Some churches, some households have wisdom in them. Some households function only by expedience. A household that is characterized by the client model will tend to be a household that functions more by expedience and by um, popularity. But a, a household that has a blueprint that God is enacting will have character. In Psalm 112, the Lord speaks about those who fear the Lord. And He says, who delight in this knowledge of the Lord. It begins from fearing the Lord to delighting in the Lord. And he says that when this household becomes like that, Psalm 112, when you move from fearing the Lord, which is a little uncomfortable, don't you think? To delighting in the Lord, something has taken place. And, becomes, and, he, and, and the psalmist says, And there are precious things in the house. The house is full of wealth. They're able to borrow. uh, Sorry, they're they're able to lend and not borrow. They're able to give and not just ask. Strange, isn't it? There's a character and there is a personality in a household. If you think of the the church only as a client, in the client model or as an audience, then you, you, you that doesn't even apply. But there are things that we as a church can sow into it as a household and become a wise church. What do you think? What do you think? And one of the things that I really want to encourage those of you who are parents, especially parents of younger children, is to invest in your children, especially in children's ministry. You know why? Because... The client model that has infected the church today has made us think of children's ministry or youth ministry or whatever as something that we subscribe to, we pay our, 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 our tithes and offerings, and we get these services. Does that make sense? But actually, in the household of God, God is actually wanting all of us to participate in the next generation's raising. That your children, my children... Will be people, who, will be children who know their God, display strength and dis- do exploits. For that to happen, for me to be, for us to be a wise church, we have to start investing now and participating in it now. If you do the convenient, expedient thing where you leave it to the church to do it or whoever, whatever personages that have titles and all do that, then what's going to happen is this, you will be a part of an unwise church. A church doesn't have, that doesn't have corporate wisdom. Does that make sense? i am very very um touched always when i go back to malaysia because we go to these churches these uh these uh, churches and there are several churches that we do and every, and one characteristic i see in the churches is always this the worship team is always the children and the grandchildren of these members that i knew okay so i knew this my generation but when you look at the, uh, the worship team you don't see people of my age doing worship they're actually the teenagers. And they sing songs that the parents just really don't like. This is not their style. You know? I was of the of the of the of the generation which when people play guitar, they play with great soloing, right? Pat Mataney, you know, George Benson. <laughs> When today worship leaders are like ding,
1: ding, 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 ding,
0: ding, ding, they like it. The parents don't like it, but they invest in their children. And because they invest in their children, you know what happens? Their children feel supported and they are being raised up tremendously. Every church I go to in Malaysia, they have a quite good music sense, but parents don't really care about that so much. They care that investment is being made in their children and their children have a chance to do worship. Does that make sense? Because they invested. Now, there's wisdom because of the fact that the character of that church is such that when you see these children growing up, you don't have this separation between generations. The un- the, the, the older ones and the younger ones, the children are all clumped together, all the same age, all clumped together in the same age, and they all only minister, uh, work with one another. They are very adept at, at talking to different, different adults and all that. Does, that. does that make sense? In fact, sometimes I think I, when I go to, 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 to the church, I feel like they're all one family because they're calling this person uncle this or uncle that or auntie this or auntie that. It's, it's not because they're aunties, but they are close. Does that make sense? Now, for that to happen, in which children can grow in such a way that it's not just the parents who are actually um, educating and, 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 and raising up the children, but the church becomes an environment in which God is so real, the testimonies are bought and, 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 uh, and, and, and owned, and the children have adults that are sometimes... Like heroes, sometimes they're just carers. Sometimes they're just safe places. Sometimes they're just people who we know, they know they grow up in an environment in which they are loved or they are cared for. That is very, very precious. I don't think we have too much of that. What we have is great stars who do great ministry, but the investment is not really there. I want to encourage those of you who are parents of of children, and also those who are not, to be involved, because when we do that, um, involved with the children, you actually have something really precious in the house. I look at churches that have strength, right? They have very power to be able to do this. When crisis comes, they just become stronger. You, you, you mean something kicks in, and the wisdom and the strength and the sacrifice that is taking place in this household, not mass congregation, but a household has taken place. What happens is this their strength begins to be shown. And God's will is to call, fulfill His purposes through the church, not just individuals. Not just individuals. Amen? When uh, we wanted to buy this building, um, we realized that the cost of this building was going to be absorbently, ridiculously above what we could afford as a church. We were about 18 of us and not rich. And so the, the the board decided we would we need help for this. This is a big project. We we really need help. So we 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 brought in. I can't remember. There's a really fancy name for it, but it's a, it's a professional fundraiser for buildings, right? A building fundraiser. Okay, so we call him, call this person in, and so he met with us as a board and showed how successful they have been and how their plan to make sure the whole church buys the building project would uh, would happen, would effect. After about two hours of presentation and discussion, we asked one question. And remember, we were a quite poor church. We asked him, so how much, this sounds really great, but how much will it cost? And he said, well, it'll cost about 35000 Now, to some of you, 35000 is not that much. To us, it was a bomb. We could not afford it. We could not afford it. But he presented it in such a way that it seemed as if that's the only way we could actually do these things in this modern day. And I was so proud of the board when the board said, someone in the board says, you know, VCF, we don't do it that way. We don't need to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> oh, really? Actually, honestly, I was quite open to it. <laughs> but he says, no, 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 we don't do it this way. We all trust God and hear from God, and then we all go by grassroots, one by one, one by one. And that's exactly what we did. We, t- we, s- we said goodbye to him. And the church rose up during that period, and we raised up money that... You know, have you ever seen Mary Poppins? How many of you have seen the movie Mary Poppins? She comes in... And she has this bag, this carpet bag. And she grabs all these things out of it. And there's more stuff than the bag can hold. And I just felt that, like that about the church. We still needed miracles, but we suddenly saw things of the quality of the church. Some people, some, one, one family actually sold their land, sold a house and committed. People took loans and paid them off month by month. 20,000, 30,000. We saw the, these things like that. And when uh, Brian, the treasurer, called me and he told me how much was raised, I could not believe it. I, we don't even have that money to raise. And God did a miracle out of that. Every household has character, it has character. And this character is manifested by the way in which each person lives their life with God and not there are many families and there are many households and perhaps even many churches that are going to fail when the testing comes because, because of the fact they don't have an inner wisdom that has been built by investment in that. Does that make sense? So when we talk about, when Paul is talking about a household, he's talking about something that's dynamic that happens on a day-to-day basis in real time to build a people up together in an amazing way. Amen? When we, uh, I think I shared this before, but when we had our connection con- conferences, we would have conferences in which 70 young ministers would come from different organizations and we would, they would actually meet here and we would have seminars and all that. I remember one time, um, someone who was from InterVarsity came and, uh, and, and, and they all joined us for worship. And at the end of the worship, um, different members of VCF just went fanned out and just prayed for each one of them and gave them a word. And many of these ministers were shocked that God could use ordinary members, not just people who are have titles but ordinary members, to give a word to people so there 's something distinctive that God is doing in every household. every household has its own distinctive quality amen so I want to put it to you that actually let's let 's talk about this and um, in just let me wrap up this uh, this plug I have, we are going to actually invite parents of children to be involved in preschool and involved in children's ministry as well. And that investment is the only way we can go in order for us as a church to be healthy. That is when we all as parents and children and uncles and aunts, so to speak, contribute to that. Because if you leave it to the client model you are not going to have a child that can survive the, these evil days. I want to invite us to do hard things. Every church, every household that has has character can list out a list of hard things that they're able to do, perhaps unpopular things. And that's how God begins to build us together. Um, and that's why Abram's household was not like Lot's household. Lot's household fell apart very, very easily to the Chaldeans. Remember? Kedar Laoma and all. But Abram was able to summon 318 servants raised in his household. And they were able to chase down five kings all the way to Dan and rescue the other people. I believe that God is calling us, and He will call upon us one day when we as a church are tapped on the shoulder to do a very special thing that God has for us to do that perhaps few people could do, few churches could do. I'm not saying that we're better or, or anything like that, but everyone has their own calling. Okay? And so these are the precious things that we have. We invest in precious things I want to make a plug for children's, children's ministry. If you are a parent and you have children, I want to invite you, especially if you have young children, to, um, to be involved in this as a parent, help, helper, and teacher. Alright, let's talk about this, okay? Let's talk about this a little bit. 11.21, okay. I want to talk about these timely things, the stream of time, that God brings us into in order to fulfill His purposes through us as a church. I was mentioning the, the particular verbs that were used. Uh, let, I'll read it. Let's all read it together. Verse 20 onwards. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, so he's the reference point. We are constantly looking to him. Christ Jesus is not just the dead stone, but he's a live stone. He's willing, he's he's a living stone, and he's speaking to us. So we take our cues from Jesus Christ, not from any model or from any particular uh, expedient uh, situation. Or, 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 or plan, but from Him. We're constantly listening to Him. So the, the household listens to the cornerstone, looks at the cornerstone, is at orientated towards the cornerstone, orientated towards God. We don't suddenly, we don't have prayer, and then we become all holy, and then after that, we get into the business, and we, we just do what's expedient. We constantly are referencing back to Jesus. Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, okay, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. Yep. And lest we get the idea that the holy temple is a static building, Paul says, in whom you are also being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. In case you think that this analogy, it means that we as a church are being built into a static building with rocks and all that. In case you, 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 you make that misunderstanding, Paul says, no, we are being built together as a a strange organism through whom the Holy Spirit could act dynamically in real time and do miracles and manifest His glory and His power in that. What does it look like? We don't know. We don't know what it looks like. It looks different every time. But it sure doesn't look like a building. It's not static. Okay? And so I want to just very briefly go, go through some of these real time things that we want to do. It says that... Um, We are being fitted together, right? In verse 21, in the whole building, it's being fitted together. And so I want to say that perhaps sometimes when God fits us together, He fits us together in such a way that each piece that's fitted together, just like a jigsaw puzzle, is often opposite to each other. Just like a jigsaw puzzle, if one is a thing that's sticking out, the one that it's fitted to is one that's caving in. Right? So being fitted together has to do with the fact that we don't actually move along with people that are like us. We don't actually move in terms of certain natural affinities. You will not find your place in the church if you just move with people of the same kind as you. You can't be fitted together you'll be something, you'll be connected, you'll be some kind of community. But community doesn't actually really um, express the supernatural body of Christ. Community, according to Miriam uh, Miriam webster focuses on care for one another. It focuses on commonalities. So those are good come out of our identity in Christ and our love for one another, we lay down our life for one another. But community doesn't reach the level of the body of Christ, the household of God. What happens is this, when God is fitting us together, He's fitting us with people who are not like us, or people who we would not, at the moment, feel that comfortable with. When I was... Um, um, involved in this church planting movement. We were we a very dynamic church planting movement. We planted many churches. I was mentored by someone who had a particular slant, right? Particular slant. He was apostolic. And he was like into healing campaigns, evangelism, reaching the lost, and miracles and all that. And so when I began church planting, what did I do? Because I was mentored by him, I Went into that line. I just did healing campaigns. Lots, hundreds of people came to the Lord. People were healed. Miracles happened. Lots of deliverance. Lots of casting out demons. We just had a great time. Now there's a problem there, because I was very strong on the on those things. I began to find gaps in the churches that I was involved in because I didn't just want to be an evangelist. I want to be someone who can raise people up who are strong. And I found that all these people who I had, that had come to the Lord, out of them, very few of them were solid. Full of, few of them could stand the test. Few of them could, re, could, could, could uh, reproduce disciples. And I, I went back to the headquarters, shaking my head, and I was thinking, there's something missing. Now, there was another leader who had her own group of disciples, who I actually didn't like. They were more fuddy-duddy. They were not so cool. They were just like into discipling people. And I thought, discipling is good for certain people. They are like, okay, you like that kind of stuff? Go for it. It's like one day at a time, like just faithful and all that. And I just, how I saw it. But I saw something about these people that my, my church members didn't have. And it's, they could hear from God very, Very accurately. Right, They're very, very accurate in hearing from God. And I realized that there was something about that dimension that I didn't have. The problem is that these people, most of them were women, were people that I just didn't like. I just didn't like them. They drove me up the wall. For one thing, they were kind of abrasive, right? They were always... Make fun of me and my colleagues, my, my, my partners who are like into evangelism and all this. Stuff. All your disciples, they would say, your disciples, they're all like, like what George Rispoon said, it's like a rope of sand. They're not strong. <laughs> and they would sometimes make fun of my disciples. I didn't like that. And then one day God spoke to me, I want you to be discipled by them. I want you to decide to disciple then. them. Because if you're going to do a work, you, can't, you don't just do what you like. If you want to do what God, what God wants to do, you want to raise up disciples who are strong. And that's where I said, ask, ask them, teach me about devotions. Teach me about devotions. Every day, I'll go with my devotion book and I'll go to this person who was about seven years younger than me. You know, when you're younger, age does matter. When you're older, it doesn't matter so much. When you are, when I was, when I was 23, seven young, years younger, is a big difference. When you're 64, there's hardly any difference. And I remember, I needed to humble myself, and God was linking me with these people. Today, today, when you think about VCF, a lot of times you think about VCF as people who do devotions and. And healing. There will come a time in which everybody in the world will be wondering what is going on, and there will be so much confusion, so much darkness that you, that that there will be those who know how to hear from God that will know the way through the wilderness. Amen. But there is a way in which we are being fitted together, and I remember those days in which I had to be exposed to my own pride as well as my own um, sensitivity as well. And so there were ways in which I began to realize that I, I was not wanting to expose myself. And as a result of that, there was a certain comfortability that I had in the church that was slowly becoming more, how do you say, it was challenged. But then there came a point in, in, of time in which I remember I was very disturbed about this. And I, and I prayed about it and I spent the whole night praying about it. And while I was praying about it, my two other friends were, knew what the issue that I was struggling with was. The issue was this. I was being asked by God to connect with people who had something that I didn't have, but which I didn't like. And my, my weakness would be exposed. And as I did that, Through the night, I wrestled with God until at the end in the morning. I remember it was 4.30 in the morning. I woke up and I said, okay, I surrender. I surrender myself on the altar. That moment, my mind changed. It was almost as if my mind was renewed when I was put on the altar. Derek Prince says, when the sacrifice is put on the altar, the sacrifice, the altar sanctifies the sacrifice. My mind is sanctified when it touches the altar because the altar will sanctify my mind. Before long, I was free. I was free. I had a great relationship with all of them. Suddenly, all the things that I feared about them just went away. Just went away. Fitted together. Next, is growing. Is growing. Is growing. So, as I said... The church is not a static, ideal structure in which we have to try to be that immediately. No, we are growing into it. All of us are growing. Does that make sense? So there are things that you cannot expect from yourself in your own spiritual growth until there's been these steps that have been been growing. I sometimes feel that in America, there's so much glorification that's put upon stars that everybody wants to be like this star, like, Stephen Furtick or, or who, who, Tim Keller or all these all these great people, they're great, but they are the great, right? If you try to approximate them, then you will have a, a way in which you think, if I'm not that, then I'm nothing. And one of the things that somebody in America, when I first came, told me, is like, everybody here wants to be big. Everybody here wants to be big. But I, <laughs> I just looked at a YouTube video by Michael Phelps, you know, you know Michael Phelps, right? How can you not know Michael Phelps, right? The swimmer. He says, "Being big by being small." That's the title of his talk. Being big by being small. What? What I realized was this. I have to remind myself what I'm talking about. <laughs> there is one footballer or soccer player by name of Said Ben Rama. Okay. During the preseason, just recently. He has been doing amazing. Everybody's talking about Saeed Ben-Rama. Today he scored a goal uh, when when West Ham beat Newcastle 4-2. But he's masterful. He's amazing. Very young guy. But when he was bought by West Ham from uh, Brentford one year ago, everyone was talking about his skills, his silky skills. He makes defenders look stupid because he's so good at dribbling, right? But the manager, David Moy, said, I'm not going to give you regular playing time. I'll take you off the bench at, at times. But I want you to work on consistency. You are very skillful, but you are weak up here. You're weak up here. And you're also not consistent. On a good day, you can be amazing. And during that year, last year, Ben Rama, Said." But Rama got not a lot of playing time. He would come off the bench most of the time. Very few starts, maybe two or three starts through the whole year. But he took it really well. He took it really well. And all the fans of Ben, side ben, ben Rama were complaining. Why doesn't he give him a chance? Why doesn't he give him a chance to play? Why doesn't he give him a chance? But still, David Moy, Scotsman, stood firm. Stood firm. Every time people were talking, what about Saeed? Wow, did you see what he did? The the, the Scotsman, um, uh, David Moyes would say, yes, I want him to improve more. I want him to improve more. People would get frustrated with him. People would get offended on on, on behalf of Saeed Ben-Rama because they felt that he was not giving him opportunities. The problem was this. They were thinking that Saeed Ben-Rama was good enough already. They thought that he was good enough already. And in some ways, he was very skillful. But he didn't have something else which Moise, David Moise, could see. A more experienced manager, a more experienced coach, could see that there's more important foundational things that are not there. We live in a a society in which the way in which we empower people is by giving them a chance. But there's no guidance there. There's no deeper vision of what's happening. But it's so, but, and so Paul says, we are growing together. Amen? Growing together. Today, after one year of being on the bench most of the time, starting from uh, two months ago, his star has just skyrocketed. He's amazing. But he's consistent as well. Amen? Now, there are ways in which because we are doing this in real time, because we're doing this in real time, you, have, you and I have to accept the fact that God has better in store for you. If you do not have the idea that you are not the best, you're not that great, but if you struggle with this, with this, you will have serious problems with growing together. Because you won't have, you have an idea of how you're okay, but you won't have an idea of how excellent God is see how excellently god sees you and so the growth will be st- tilted because it's all based upon a very fuzzy upper layer uh, uh, upper upper excellence level does that make sense you will be offended because you will think that people don't really accept you or or think you're really low down or whatever that's because of the fact that nobody has given you an idea of what really excellent is and how you are excellent in God. Now God, in Ephesians chapter 1, you see this tension. God says, Paul says, I want you to know the excellency of the power of God that's in you and the great calling. You're full of wisdom, full of all that. And most of us will say, yay, I'm this, I'm this. Yeah, let me go, let me go. Let me go and go and kill the world right now. And Paul's saying, right, but you're growing together growing together and in that what happens is this as the church grows together as a household you see you see this can never happen if you think if you have the client model right if the household then what happens is that you will be going through experiences that are sometimes hard sometimes difficult sometimes challenging but it will help you to grow solidly so and Rama is, is one Felipe Anderson, I've talked about him before because he's so marvelous. He's a Brazilian um, um, midfielder, uh, striker. Amazing, amazing. In those dark days when I was on Facebook, I used to put up um, um, videos of Felipe, Felipe Anderson, his thorough, thorough, arrogance. He would dribble with, while pulling his gloves on and make fun of everybody. But he's nowhere now. No club wants to buy him. Because he doesn't have the substance. He has the skills, but he doesn't have the substance. He can't be got rid of. He can't be sold. In spite of the fact that he was the most expensive player that West Ham bought during that time. Yeah? So there's a way in which the growing together is something that God is actually doing for us, even in the midst of that. And finally, it says here, you are being built together. Built together. And I want to put it to you, and you will probably um, understand this by now, that it's not about certain individual stars. It's not individuals trying to fulfill our own calling, so to speak, on an individual cap basis. It is upon being built together. So when we are talking about being built, you and I want to pray about how am I build, being built together with my brother and my sister? Who's different from me? Amen? I want to, we have a few minutes. I've been trying to get to this, this passage. In these next few minutes, we will transition and we will look at how in real time God works. Okay? How does He bring us into unity and bring, grow, grow us together? Nothing like actually seeing a real incident, a real narrative that happened in real time. Okay? Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter one. Jesus is speaking about the church. The church is about to be inaugurated. It has not been yet. Everything that we saw is is incipient. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is all is incipient. Finally, Jesus has risen from the dead. He has conquered death, sin, and the devil. He has now risen from the dead, and he is about to be uh, going to, to, to be ascended into heaven. And the disciples still don't have a clear understanding of the church or the kingdom of God. They still have an idea of the kingdom of God as something that's more political than anything else. They were happy that Jesus, who had been torn down and, and, and left to hang dry on a, on, a, on, a, on a cross, actually had resurrected. They were happy about that. So they think, okay, now I'll, we can get back on track with our plans for the kingdom of Israel. And so they asked him, Lord, in chapter 1, verse 6, Lord, is it at this time that you are restoring the kingdom into Israel? In verse 7 he says to to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs, which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. You don't need to know a lot of things, but you need to have power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Judea, in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. It's almost as if the children, the, the disciples were Israel-centered, ethnocentric. And Jesus saying, as a corrective, you're going to be my witnesses in both in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria. You're not going to be ethnocentric. You're going to be a people who are for the world. And so he was uh, ascended. In verse 12, The church begins, and what we see in Acts chapter 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 as well is, is the unfolding, the actual timely unfolding of the process of God making a church, okay? And as we look at this, we see certain ingredients that are essential, okay? Then they returned, verse 12, to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away, about three-quarter miles. When they had entered the, the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, and that is Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of El- James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Yeah? At this time, Peter stood up. And in the midst of the brethren, a gathering of about 120 persons were together and said, brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide. And so he tells us about what happened. Now, before we go into that, can you see how it unfolds? It doesn't happen all at once. It says they went up to devoted themselves to prayer together. I want to put it to you that this strange thing we call church is not put together by any plans, on any, any any particular um, human construction. It happens when God unites people together. In prayer, it says they were all with one mind, and that's the word symphoneo, same word that's used in Matthew 18 when, when we agree touching anything. They were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of James, of Jesus and with his brothers. I want to put it to you that the essential substance of unity is prayer. Being together in one prayer. And the word that's used as a strange Greek word for, for, for being devoted to prayer it is as if it's, it, it, its connotations are, okay. its meanings are, um, persevere, being courageous, doing a hard thing, pressing through. The devotion to prayer was not just a sentiment. It was not just an event that took place in which sometimes you come, sometimes you don't. They belong to something, and even in belonging to that something, it was not easy. But it's in this not easy belonging to something that they devoted themselves to prayer, and God gave them symphonia, like a symphony, right? It gave them symphoneo so much so that there was that oneness that is not just oneness in, you know, how, how Merriam-Webster defines community, as same purpose, same, same interest. But it was oneness that was telepathic, that was spiritual, that was miraculous, that was intuitive, that was instinctual. It was all those things that cannot be easily um, um, analyzed. There's something about that that harkens back to Matthew chapter 18 when it talks about the fact that when you are together, when you are in Sinfonio, you actually are going to find that the presence of God is there. I want to put it to you that there is a uh, the, uh, God-lessing call it a big, ugly ditch. A big, ugly ditch that separates us, those who are just attending or just event and being part of an event from those who are actually joined together. And that has to do with something to do with a commitment to something that is not that easy. It's a commitment to God forming us together in prayer. And so because of this, I've said this many, many times, I want to challenge you not just to pray, but to be part of a group of people who are bound together. And I mean bound together. Because there's something more than schedule alone that holds you together. You all who are part of this heard in the middle of the night or somewhere a call. Go there. Go there. That is how the church, the house church in China functions. If you read the heavenly man, um, the, the heavenly, is it heavenly man, right? You notice that the church in China is not able to give notices or send emails to each other, we're going to meet here. All of them are in prayer. And this is unbelievable, it's actually. They're in prayer and they hear a call. Meet here at 10.37 at Brother Cheng's house. No notice given. No letters sent. Nothing. Everybody heard, hears it. I pray that many of us will hear the call to prayer. But not the call to prayer as an option, but a call to prayer as a commitment from God to do something great and mighty in your life. Not a call for you to get committed to something that's fuddy-duddy, but a call that speaks of great things that He wants to do in your life. Amen? And so the substance of church is a group of people who are committed to gather around the presence of God and in real time see what God does. We don't have a picture of where prayer is going to take us, but we have a feeling that it's going to take us to revival. We believe that. But we have to follow time, not ideals, but time that will take us here. At this point in prayer, we can do this. We can pray for these things and these things happen. And I'm gonna take you to the next step. But you got to do this step first before you go to the next step. Before you see the anointing, see the anointing increase. You grow and you are built together. Amen? And so this is what happened with these, with these, with these people, uh, on, 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 in Pentecost. There came a time where Pentecost came fully. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, That means all the steps were growing and incrementally increasing, thickening the time. The Holy Spirit came and tongues of fire came. I want my my ardent wish is for us as a church to be part of the timeliness of God. That's how you be present to Him. Don't look out to the future. One of my children, I won't say who, never never likes to read a novel without knowing what happens at the end she give you one clue it's a she when she looks at movies she'll go to, she'll google it and then she'll find what happens in the end and if it's good then she will follow it and same with books we are people who want to know what's at the end a lot of life is not like that i don't know what the end is i know that God has good for us. And probably we can't bear what He has for us. It'll make us proud or make us distracted or make us depressed. or I don't, I don't know what it is. But there's a way in which in real time, God does this. As, as they were in prayer, in verse 5, Peter stood up. It says, in those days, at that time. You see that? At this time, verse 15, sorry, not 5. Peter stood up in the midst of the brethren, who gathering 120 persons, and said, we got to do something. Can you see that Peter was involved in the process? At that time. Not before, not after, but at that time. It had to come to this place. And as we were praying before the Lord, God began to reveal to Peter there was some... Wound that needs to be healed. And sometimes when we come to these wounds, we don't want to pray anymore. Because prayer brings up a wound. And we're going to pray right now. We're going to close in prayer. I want to invite you to bow down, bow your heads with me. I know we've talked about a lot of things. But I wonder whether there's anybody who here who's here who have found that in prayer sometimes you'll get discouraged because it brings up painful places. In this case, Peter stood up and the Holy Spirit had brought them in prayer to such a place where a deep wound that had blocked their way going further had been uncovered. But because of the prayer, it could be done safely and gently and with healing. Not earlier, not later, but at that time. It says at that time. In the midst of it, in a timely way. To be committed to church, to be experiencing a church life is to be committed to the unfinished nature of what the church is. We're all growing together. My three children are very, very close. Very, very close. They are are, are adults now. Adults. But they are so close because of the fact that they went through a process in the household of doing chores, rubbing with one another, and becoming very honest with one another. Yes, there was trauma. Yes, there was quarreling. Yes, there was tears. There were tears, many tears. But there's something that God is doing in the church that is Yes, messy, but messy doesn't define it. If you think that it's just messy, and that's the definition of it, you'll be totally mistaken. It's God-ordained. And I understand that we all have our own fears. I have mine too. But if there's anyone who's here, you've come to this place in which prayer becomes something really hard because It brings up a pain, a wound, an event, an inadequacy, and an exposure, a tender place. The Lord is here to heal it. Prayer brings us to that place not in a traumatic way, but in a healing way. There are some perhaps for whom prayer is a scary thing. perhaps you feel that you can't pray as well as other people or you can't focus so much. You can only do this much. I want to invite you to just bring that to God. Because prayer is the greatest place of acceptance. Where God receives us for what we are. Including what we are not. Bless your name, Lord. Glory to your name. We welcome you, precious Lord. We thank you, Lord, when you say you are building, you are growing, you are fitting us together. We thank you, Lord, that you do that work far beyond our own um, ability. Praise you, Lord.
1: Jesus, we say you are worthy of it all. So, Lord, we just bring ourselves to you onto that precious altar where Jesus already has brought us power to both die and be raised again. We think we knew the Amen. end of that story right yes, now Lord. for anyone who has never brought our entire life to you, God, right now. Our history, our jobs, all our Amen. gifts right now. We bring it to you right now. We get on the altar with you, Jesus. And we accept your hug. Amen. That we're in this together right now. So Lord, take it. Break the enmity within us. Take the sin right now. And we die to it. And we accept as you hold us. Our new life in you, resurrected, that we are different people. And we're no longer called, God, from our, even our old households, that you have something new you're doing right now in this household with us. We leave our gifts on the altar right now. And thank you, you are renewing our minds and using it in a new way that we never could have imagined. Thank you,
0: God. Amen. surrender ourselves to you putting ourselves on the altar knowing that it's the altar that we put ourselves on that will heal us change us, renew us so we surrender ourselves to you come oh Lord we pray for the church, we lift it up before you you who never slumber nor sleep we surrender ourselves to you Lord, to your doings in Jesus name Amen.